Hi, everyone. Welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm Phil Bliss, founder and CEO. Today, we're going to meet with the Competition Bureau. The Competition Bureau is an independent law enforcement agency that protects and promotes competition for the benefit of Canadian consumers and businesses. Competition drives lower prices and innovation and funds economic growth. The Competition Bureau works to support and protect Canadians by fostering fostering a competitive and innovative marketplace. They do this by using various methods, including advocacy, outreach, consultation, partnerships, and enforcement. Today, we're meeting with Majid Charania, Director of Compliance. The unit is responsible for promoting compliance with the Competition Act, And today we're going to discuss a new policy about wage fixing and a no poaching agreement. Majid, welcome to Canada's podcast. Um, So let's dive in. I want to ask you some questions about about these these new sort of conditions. What is the new policy in relation to the enforcement guide on wage fixing and no poaching agreements? Uh, Phil, first, thanks for having me. Very happy to be on the podcast. Um, maybe we can start off with, with what these agreements are. You know, what is wage yeah. fixing? What is no yeah. poaching? Yeah, that'd be uh, good. Wage fixing is uh, an agreement to fix or maintain or decrease or control wages or other terms of employment. That's what we call a wage fixing agreement. Uh, Now, no poaching agreement or a no hiring agreement, that's an agreement to refrain from hiring or trying to hire each other's employees. So Mm -hmm. the provision is new. It's within the existing criminal conspiracy provisions of the Competition Act, but it's new. Um, The idea behind it is is aimed at protecting uh, competition in labor markets. Being brought in, I mean, why did... You guys think this was a, an important uh, sort of so, new yeah, policy? I'm happy to provide a bit of context. Um, and, I, and I should say that, you know, we've got guidance on, on these new agreements that will be uh, illegal as of June 23rd, uh, 2023. Uh, we can share a link to that in the show notes. But it's a great question. You know, why is this all coming about? Um, so there's been uh, some changes to the competition law in Canada that go back Uh, all the way to 2009. Uh, In 2009, uh, the Competition Act, as it's known, uh, was amended to apply only to quote-unquote sellers. Uh, So if you think of employment, employers are actually purchasers of labor. So the criminal provisions of the law didn't adequately address uh, harmful agreements amongst employers related to labor. Uh, So what does this mean? you know, the conspiracy provisions of the act, they don't protect workers from agreements between employers that fix wages and restrict job mobility. So Canada arguably uh, became out of step uh, internationally and international jurisdictions have recently identified uh, no poaching and wage fixing uh, agreements as particularly egregious. So for example, uh, in October of 2021, a couple of years ago, Uh, the European Commission, they committed to expanding their conspiracy-related enforcement to labor markets, uh, and that included these types of agreements. 
you know, this followed similar types of enforcement in, in Ireland and Italy. Um, recently, the US, uh, the Department of Justice in the US, uh, they also, uh, you know, look to the courts for criminal sanctions uh, for these types of offenses in the labor market. Uh, they actually brought their first uh, wage-fixing case uh, in the States in December 2020, and their first no-poaching case in January of 2021. So, you know, in the U.S., there's a commitment to pursue uh, no-poaching or wage-fixing agreements, uh, you know, that are unrelated or unnecessary to a larger legitimate type of agreement uh, between employers. Uh, you know, there's an important U.S. decision that came out uh, in 2021 in November. So this is sort of gaining traction around the world. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's a bit of the international context. Okay. Well, what, what does it mean for employers and employees, you know, now, if you like? Um, let's first maybe talk about employers at a high level. Uh, you know, employers don't need to be uh, competitors for the act to apply. Uh, the new criminal offense applies to agreements involving uh, two or more unaffiliated employers, regardless of whether, uh, you know, they compete in the supply of a product. So regardless of whether they're competitors in, in that intuitive sense. Um, second, they're people. So the employees, the staff within uh, a company, an employer, can engage the company's liability. Uh, so the word employers includes directors, uh, or officers, uh, as well as agents or employees, uh, including, you know, human resources professionals, for example. So, uh, you know, if we, if we think conceptually, an agreement between an officer of a company and the director of another company, that could be considered to be an agreement amongst employers uh, under the law. Now, in, in this circumstance, you know, the individuals who entered into that agreement they might themselves be subject to prosecution, and the corporations may also be subject to prosecution as a result of the agreement between these people. Uh, you know, if the if the people are acting as what we call senior officers. Uh, so maybe you know we can flip to employees. Talk a little bit yeah. about yeah. So the changes in the law they're really designed to protect labor market competition. So if wages remain competitive and employees are able to move around uh, without being hindered by anti-competitive uh, barriers put up by employers, then that helps to ensure that labor market competition is strong. So now that the Bureau is going to be empowered to investigate and take action uh, against illegal agreements you know, amongst employers, we really want to hear uh, from anyone who thinks there might be these types of illegal wage fixing or no hire, no poaching agreements in their region, in their industry. And, you know, we can share some information about how to get in touch with us uh, okay. in the show notes. Okay. When does it become law? When does all of this come into place? So these types of agreements, wage fixing and no poaching agreements, will become illegal on June 23rd of 2023. So, you know, all of what I've described uh, really applies as of that date, as of June 23rd. Can you give us some examples, uh, you know, without being too specific on what is prohibited, you know, that, that kind of thing, just so we, we can maybe grasp it a little better? 
Sure. So I can I can maybe run through an example where you know the agreement would probably be illegal, uh, and then another example where it wouldn't be, just to provide a bit of contrast. Well, that, that would be good. That would be good. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's let's first look at something where uh, the agreement would probably be illegal. Uh, you know, let's consider a couple of different people. Uh, Lucy, uh, she owns a private medical laboratory, and uh, she had a meeting with uh, someone named Jerry. He owns a chemical testing lab, so they're kind of in the same field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They agreed uh, amongst themselves to limit each of their employees' annual bonuses to 5% of salary. So, you know, what would this look like in terms of an analysis under the law? Would this be illegal? So the agreement would probably raise concerns under, you know, the, the new provisions after June 23rd of this year. Uh, so in this example, you know, both employers, uh, Lucy and Jerry, they both have employees uh, who earn a salary and who each generally get an annual bonus. And so an agreement uh, to fix or maintain or decrease or do anything really uh, to control bonuses uh, are prohibited under, uh, under the Competition Act as of June 23rd. So let's look at the flip side then, you know, maybe something where it wouldn't, you know, necessarily be problematic under the new provision. Um, so company A, let's say, is a consulting firm. Uh, they embed their employees, their consultants, uh, in their clients' businesses for a certain period of time. Um, and as part of a consulting contract, uh, company B, they agree not to hire company A's embedded employees, their consultants. Uh, company A doesn't make the same agreement uh, regarding company B's employees. So that's that's important. Uh, so the no poaching agreement, so this would be a no hire, no poach uh, agreement, that was entered into by two employers, companies A and B, uh, to prevent company A's employees from being hired by company B. Uh, but since the restraint contained in the agreement, so since this uh, restraint on employee mobility only applies to company A's employees, it's what we would call a one-way agreement, and it doesn't have a, a reciprocating promise uh, from company B. So uh, the restraint doesn't apply to each other's employees, and so it doesn't break the law. So that's kind of an important point people should keep in mind. Um, I should also mention, you know, we, I've talked about two examples. Uh, we're going to be publishing a compliance bootcamp on wage fixing and no poaching agreements. And that's going to be short and plain language and really designed for small and medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs to really understand how to comply with the law. So, you know, I'd, I'd really encourage all of the listeners to, uh, to take a look at our website, keep track of our publications. And, uh, you know, once it's ready, we can certainly provide a link in the show notes. So, you know, I mean, if it's the law, you know, what, what kind of penalties are there for infractions? So, I mean, uh, ex ex examples, obviously, you know, there's no penalties at the moment that have been put in place, but examples. Certainly. So, you know, the, first off, these, uh, these types of agreements, wage fixing, no hire, no poaching, uh, they're all going to be criminal offenses. So the penalties for infractions can be quite serious. You know, we're looking at uh, fines, 
with no maximum limit, no upper limit. Uh, so those are fines that can be set at the discretion of the court. Uh, there's potential jail time uh, up to 14 years. Uh, you know, someone could be subject to both of those things. Uh, so this is, you know, this is quite a serious uh, yeah. infraction, you know, as of June 23rd. And how, how would those things be enforced? I mean, what kind, what kind of process is that? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk a bit about, um, you know, the Competition Bureau's enforcement uh, process or investigative process. Generally, that's, you know, usually uh, how we would proceed. I'm happy to talk about uh, our process. So, you know, we're going to vigorously enforce these provisions once they come into, into force. And our investigative process uh, criminally, it follows a couple of stages. Um, you know, let's start off with, with the beginning, usually. We get some information, for example, uh, in a complaint. Uh, you know, we'll take a look at that information as part of a, a preliminary examination. Uh, we assess, you know, whether there are reasons to believe that an offense might have been committed. Um, and then if we do believe that an offense might have been committed, then we continue uh, investigating further. We, you know, commence a formal inquiry under uh, Section 10 of the Competition Act, uh, we have legal powers to go on formal inquiry. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. And then once we get to that point, we can use uh, various investigative tools to determine the facts. Um, so these tools range from uh, search warrants uh, to subpoenaing witnesses and questioning them under oath, uh, wiretaps uh, obtained through court order, uh, and, you know, in the cases that might have an international or cross-border dimension, we can use what we call uh, mutual legal assistance treaties to get information from other enforcement agencies outside of Canada. Uh, so these are all tools, formal tools that we have. Um, I should mention that our inquiries uh, by law are conducted in private. Um, and so there is only a certain amount of information that we are empowered by law to share as we conduct uh, our, our investigations. Um, maybe I can talk a bit about uh, how we resolve our investigations, you know, what are possible outcomes? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are a few different, uh, a few different possible outcomes. Uh, the first is what we call alternative case resolutions. So, you know, what does this mean? If, if we find in a particular matter that uh, you know, resources are best used to resolve it outside of the court system, outside of litigation, uh, you know, we might inform uh, the targets of an investigation of a complaint against them um, and of you know, what the law generally says, what the Competition Act uh, says. Um, we may provide presentations to the targets of an investigation. All of that we consider under the umbrella of an alternative case resolution. Uh, the other path is a referral to Canada's public prosecutors, the Public Prosecution Service of Canada. So as an enforcement agency, we are the ones who gather the facts, uh, but we're not the prosecutors. And, and this is sometimes a common misconception uh, about our role in, in the competition ecosystem. Um, if we believe a case might have merit after going through our investigative process, we have to refer it to the independent federal prosecutors. So we make recommendations uh, as to the charges to be laid, as to the penalties uh, that should be imposed in our view. 
and about recommending, you know, whether immunity or leniency should be granted, uh, you know, to the companies that are the target of the, the investigation. So we provide recommendations, but the prosecutors, they're the ones who are responsible for the decision about what to do in the case. And that includes, you know, whether to enter into an immunity agreement or give lenient treatment uh, in, in what's called a plea agreement, uh, or whether or not to lay charges and against whom to lay charges. Now, if, you know, we go through that process, they take on the case, and if a case goes to trial, then as the investigators, uh, we support, you know, the prosecution team during the trial process as, uh, as needed. So, I mean, obviously you're on Canada's podcast, you did, you did this a year or so ago as well, which is one way of communicating it to, to you know, an entrepreneurial audience, which is certain, certainly, you know, the, the kind of audience you want to know about it. How will this new policy be communicated to people in general? Uh, so a few different ways. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, we've finalized some enforcement guidance. Uh, so that's uh, the Bureau's expression of how we would enforce these provisions. Uh, it's not a restatement of the law. It's not legal advice, but it's our, it's our guidance uh, you know, to, to the business community and the legal community. And so that guidance includes uh, you know, a description of what's prohibited, some examples uh, to illustrate the new provisions. All of that is, is laid out uh, in the guidance. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to put together a compliance boot camp. So a shorter plain language, uh, you know, set of content across different media, uh, video, mm -hmm. quiz, some curated resources to help people get a quick sense of what they need to know so that they can assess their risks and determine what they might need to do uh, in their businesses to, to comply with the law. Uh, we also engage in outreach. So we often speak with trade associations, uh, chambers of commerce, you know, other business support organizations. And we're happy to explore opportunities uh, to talk about these new offenses, the laws we enforce more generally. So you know, for any listeners who are part of business support organizations who might be members of their local chamber of commerce or trade association, uh, you know, they're, they're welcome to contact us to have us go speak to the membership or to encourage their, you know, associations to come in and, uh, and get us to, to engage. I should say, however, that we don't provide legal advice. Uh, we don't work, you know, directly with individual businesses. Uh, we encourage businesses that think if, you know, if they need to get some independent legal advice, uh, they should consider going uh, to do that. Uh, and then finally, you know, I, I would say sign up for the Bureau's uh, social media for a distribution list. That's the easiest way to, to hear about our resources, which are all free uh, mm -hmm. to help, you know, folks understand the law and, and how to comply with it. Is there any other, you know, way that people can prepare themselves for this, you know, so they can better understand the new rules as quickly as possible kind of thing? Yeah, I, so I, I would advise uh, folks who are listening uh, to take a look at the resources that I mentioned, but then think about, you know, what programs uh, do I have in place? Let's say I'm an entrepreneur, a business owner. What do I have in terms of controls within my business to help address legal risks? So, you know, do I have an effective compliance program uh, in place? Uh, 
if not, you know, I would say you know, consider developing one if, uh, if this is the type of thing that might expose your company uh, to risk. Uh, if you do have one, uh, you know, maybe you should consider updating it or making sure that it's adapted so it captures uh, the risk of a new uh, offense, uh, you know, coming out there. And then I would say, you know, no matter what type of control measure you have in place, assess your risks, think critically about your business operations, what you do, where you do it, who does it, uh, and apply the learnings from that assessment. So let's take an example. You know, if you're not uh, currently training your HR people or they're not covered by uh, a compliance program, uh, consider making the changes necessary so that they get trained up on this new risk area uh, and your business is equipped to handle it. Uh, you know, adapt your internal controls. Let's say you've got compliance controls for anti-bribery or environmental risks. These types of control systems could be adapted to cover new risk areas like wage fixing and no poaching offenses. Uh, we've got uh, at the Bureau uh, a new compliance portal that we've uh, just put out. It uh, sets out our guidance to businesses on how to come up with these programs, how to put them into place, no matter how big or small the business, no matter how many resources are available. So we've got some free guidance out there that can help you uh, do all of this. Um, I would say a couple of simple, quick wins. Share this podcast within your business. You know, send it to your HR folks. Um, if you've got training programs, consider using the podcast itself as part of a training program. Um, and then stay on top of the updates to the Bureau's program. So I mentioned immunity and leniency, ways to come in and cooperate if you realize, wait a minute, there might be an actual exposure to risk within my company. Uh, you know, we have programs that uh, provide uh, incentives for companies that cooperate and, and fulfill certain uh, requirements. So, you know, we're planning to revise those to cover wage fixing and no poaching uh, agreements. And I would say look out for those programs and, and consider how they might uh, apply to you. And then finally, you know, uh, if you feel that you need to, get tailored legal advice. They, you know, legal advice can help you understand your particular situation around your facts. So recently in Canada, there was actually quite a bit of debate about, uh, you know, things like hero pay, as it was called. Uh, there was a lot of high profile discussion uh, around agreements, uh, you know, between companies uh, that look like wage fixing. So, you know, the hero pay issue, some might remember during the, the COVID pandemic in the summer of 2020, uh, you know, several grocery chains uh, communicated amongst themselves about ending the $2 an hour uh, so-called hero pay uh, for frontline staff. And executives, you know, from a number of different grocery chains uh, had to testify about this before a parliamentary committee. So uh, that was, you know, the genesis in some ways of, uh, of this most recent change to the Competition Act. Uh, I should say the new provisions go beyond uh, just hero pay and they address competition in labor markets uh, more generally. So this ended up in 2022 uh, with amendments to the Competition Act that criminalized uh, the two types of agreements that I've mentioned. And the idea is that in the long run, you know, more robust competition in the labor market will benefit everyone. 
It's great, Majid. Thank you very much for explaining this. I feel it's a, it, it's a very good policy and glad to see we're following kind of the international standards that, that, are, that are emerging. So uh, thanks for coming on Canada's podcast and letting everyone know about this. Happy to be here. Thanks, Phil. Contact us at info at canadaspodcast.com.